We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. We started watching uh, Cobra Kai on Netflix. Anybody familiar with that? Yeah, it's good. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty good. It's well done. It's got some nostalgia, too, uh, for any of you who might have been 80s kids like me. Actually, the original Karate Kid came out the year I was born, so I, I, had to, I, I was late to the Karate Kid game, but I did watch it uh, growing up. And so what we noticed, though, is like it's a, it's a really well-done show, but you don't really know what's going on unless you watch the original Karate Kid. Like everything is like built off of the foundation of that movie. And so in the same way, I want to give you the briefest recap of Ruth, chapters one and two so far, because we're going to be in Ruth chapter three. And I don't want you to sit down and watch Cobra Kai for the first time without seeing the Karate Kid. So you got to have some background experience, background understanding and knowledge. Uh, Tanya is going to read our text this morning from Ruth chapter three. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you up, Tanya, so that as you're coming up and standing here, it will cause me to be super brief with my recap, okay? So so I don't have you stand here the whole time. So what happened was there's this guy named Elimelech, whose name means God is king. And he and his wife and his two sons traveled from Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, to a land called Moab because there was no bread in the house. In Bethlehem, there was a famine. So they go to Moab, which is the land of their enemies. And they get there and they start living life. And then their sons marry two daughters, two women. And so now they have two daughter-in-laws. But then Elimelech dies. So his wife, Naomi, is a widow now. And then her two sons die. So now she's left with her two daughter-in-laws. And they, in that time and that custom, they would have been part of their household now. Like they're, they're, they don't get to just leave because their husbands die. They're part of Naomi's household. And Naomi hears, oh, there's now food in Bethlehem. I can go back home. Good, because I've only known grief in this land. So she starts to leave, but she tells her two daughters-in-law, hey, you can stay here. There's no reason you need to come and be foreigners in my land and be widows and be oppressed. Like, it's not a good place for you to be an oppressed, widow, foreign woman in my land, especially a Moabite. So just stay here with your families. One of them, Orpah, stays. The other one, Ruth, says, no, wherever you go, I go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, which we saw in week one was an echo, it was a mirror of what God said to his people. Wherever you live, I will live with you. You will be my people and I will be your God. So we're seeing this faithfulness portrayed in a foreign woman. They get to Bethlehem and last week we saw that Ruth starts working in the fields of this man named Boaz who happens to be a relative of Elimelech. So he's a relative to this family that Naomi is in and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, starts working in his field. And he hears how faithful she was to Naomi. So he's like, you know what? God bless you. I'm just gonna start pouring on food for you. And so he's finding ways to go out of his way to care for her and provide for her. Out of the excess that Boaz has, he's a well-off man. He owns this field and he's doing pretty well. He cares for this woman who has nothing and in return cares for her household, including Naomi. So that's where we were in chapter two that God was using what this man had, what he was blessed with to be a blessing to others. At the end of the chapter, we saw Ruth went back home though to Naomi and we're kind of left like, oh man, that was anticlimactic. 
Like you see this relationship start to develop between Ruth and Boaz, but then she goes back home to Naomi with her mother-in-law. And some of you know, like it's not always fun living with your mother-in-law, right? And so we're kind of hoping for better right now in this story. So enter Ruth chapter three. Tanya's gonna read for us. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you work? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went to the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Pray with me. Father, we ask that your word would illuminate our hearts and our minds today. God, that we would see more clearly who you are and how you are at work in your world than we do even now. God, we pray that your spirit would teach us, but more importantly, would transform us to look more and more like your people to bring glory to you for the good of your world. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so another one of my favorite 80s movies was Back to the Future. Anyone seen that? All right, good movie, yeah? Uh, how, by the way, adults, have you ever like thought of like, man, this movie of my childhood, like, and then you watch it later as an adult and you're like, ooh, that was kind of inappropriate. Have you ever done that? Or like, especially like, I remember watching this movie as a kid that I would never show to my kids. What were my parents thinking, right? So that kind of happened to us with Back to the Future. 
I, I thought it was like totally innocent, this fun movie. Dude gets in a DeLorean and travels through time. Uh, and we're watching this movie with our three sons. And right at the scene where Marty McFly is in the car in the parking lot with his mom at the dance, you guys know which scene I'm talking about, I start hearing Liam going, no, 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 no. If you've seen the movie, you know why. And then he looks at his mom and he's like, (laughs) and I was like, maybe we shouldn't have shown them this movie. This is kind of weird. It's risque. It's a little scandalous. That's kind of how Ruth is. Like, I don't know if you have stories of Ruth you remember about what happens here in chapter three, especially. But when I went back and I was reading it, I was like, like, whoa, this is kind of crazy. Like, this is risque. It's scandalous. And we got kids in the room. And so I did send out an email if you didn't get it, just warning you about that. I'm going to do my best, as I do every week, to talk about material and content that we need to know to grow in Christ as adults, while our kids are also needing to learn and grow in Christ and are present here with us too. Uh, But we're at different levels of whether we should watch Back to the Future or not, right? And so, uh, but we do have the option of right now, Bethany and the Leanders, Aaron and Melanie have our kids and they didn't just take the toddlers this week for this reason. They also went all the way to third grade. And so if you want to, you have the option to go and do that now. And that's totally fine. Um, I'm just gonna like gab filler while you go and come back. So you won't miss anything. No, I'm just kidding. You can watch it on Zoom later though. So you have that option, but we will do our best to, to make it appropriate for everybody here. But it's, that's gonna be difficult. I'm just gonna be honest with you because it's, Really, really risque. And a, a lot of times, here's some of the stories I heard or I remember hearing of Ruth and Boaz at this point in the field, right? And on the threshing floor is that she goes and she just innocently uncovers his feet from a blankie that he's like all snuggled in and lays her hair down on his feet to warm his feet with her hair instead of the blanket. And that that was some kind of like tradition, old school, ancient Near Eastern tradition way of proposing and saying, hey, I'm available if you want to marry me. And like, you know, it becomes this romantic love story. And he's like, oh, wow, you could have gone after younger men, but you love me and I love you and let's make this happen, right? But there's a few problems with that story, with the, that telling of the story. One of them is like the romance dies, right? When he says, actually, there's another dude who legally gets to marry you before I do. And so just hold on, let me go check with him. If he wants to, like, that's, that's the end of that story. If he doesn't, then no problem, I got you, right? Like, it's not very romantic. But also, there is nowhere else in Scripture or even in historical content where we could find that there was this type of arrangement where a woman would go uncover a man's feet and lay her head, hair down on his feet and that that was a way of proposing or showing you're available to be proposed to. We have no examples of that anywhere. What we do have examples of in scripture and other historical content is people waiting till someone gets a little tipsy, going in late at night and tricking them into something. It happens all throughout the Old Testament, actually. There's a story of a lady named Tamar who is also in the genealogy of Jesus. And this is exactly what she did with her father-in-law. If you remember, we talked about this, that's the history of where 
Moab came from. Remember Ruth, she's a Moabite. Her people, the Moabites, where they come from, their ancestor Moab was the offspring of that very situation. Two daughters, Sodom and Gomorrah had just been destroyed. Their father Lot brings them away. Their mother dies in the process and they're living in a cave. And they're thinking, there's nobody else here. In their mind, this happened all over the world. They just saw their whole city get destroyed from fire coming from the sky. Like the apocalypse, right? Like it's over, the end of the world. And here we are hiding in a cave and our father is the only one here to take care of us. Remember in that day, that was how women survived. They could not go and make a living for themselves. And so you had your father who cared for you when you were young and then you got married off and now your husband would take care of you. And your job was to produce sons so that then as you both get older, your sons would take care of you and your husband. That's the way it worked for women. There's no young men for these two daughters to marry though. And so they're chilling in the cave with their father Lot. And one of them hatches a plan. She starts scheming. How are we going to protect ourselves and provide for ourselves? Our father has done it up to this point but he's getting older and he will die. And who will provide for and protect us then? And instead of trusting in the God who saved them out of that destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, she hatches her own plan. And it involves waiting till it's dark, getting him tipsy. Maybe a little more than tipsy. Getting him drunk. Let's just go ahead and say that part. And so... Then what do you do? The older sister says to the younger sister, I'll go in and I'll lie down with him this first night. And then the next night we'll do the same thing and you go. And then what happens? The oldest daughter has a son named Moab. That's where Ruth comes from. And now here we are, Ruth chapter three. And at the very beginning of the story, you have a woman, an older woman saying to a younger woman, what are we going to do to protect you and provide for you I need to ensure that you have security, that you have a home, that you have a man to take care of you. I will provide rest for you, right? So she starts hatching a plan. Now, I know that starts like messing with our head of like who Naomi is. But remember, this isn't the book of Naomi and she's not the hero of the story. And this was happening as Ruth chapter one told us in the very beginning, this happened in the days of the judges. And in the book of Judges, you read over and over again, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. In their own eyes. If we were to go all the way back to the beginning of the story of the Bible in the garden, that's exactly the picture we have there at creation. That God is there walking and talking with the first man and woman and saying, I will teach you how to live in this world. And you will reflect to the rest of creation what I'm like by caring for it, by providing for it, by protecting it. I only have one thing for you not to do. Everything here is yours. Just do not take from this tree of the knowledge of what's good and what's not good. Why? Because they had God there to tell them what's good and what's not good. They had God there giving them wisdom and direction and guidance and how to live in his world. 
And at that moment where they decide, no, we're gonna take for ourselves this right, this autonomy, this way of living, we get to decide what's right in our own eyes, everything started breaking and falling apart. And the fabric of their relationship with God, their relationship with the creation they're supposed to care for, and their relationship with other humans started breaking. It got distorted, it got messed up to the point where turn the pages and you're in the cave with Lot and his daughters. What is happening? Right? This is not the way it's supposed to be. And so Naomi, living in the time of the judges, when every Israelite did what was right in their own eyes, it's not inconceivable that she's sitting here as an elderly woman, she's aging. Now she's going, Ruth has nobody here. Like she doesn't have her husband anymore. She doesn't have a father anymore. She left her whole family and her tribe to come be with me. And now I'm aging and she's not gonna have me for much longer. And listen, to give Naomi credit, like she's thinking of somebody else and she's going, how do I look out for this person? How do I make sure she's taken care of when I'm gone? That's a noble intent. But what's her mistake? Remember the the two daughters in the cave, what was their mistake? Not trusting that the God who just saved them out of destruction was going to continue to rescue them. And so Naomi has been saved out of destruction too. Remember there was famine and now God's been just like pouring bread on them, like providing greatly we saw in chapter two for them. And she's not trusting the God who brought her people out of slavery in Egypt and across the Red Sea and destroyed all their enemies. And she's going, how am I gonna look out for Ruth? Let me take matters into my own hands. And Ruth starts taking and doing what is right in her own eyes. And in that day, the answer is, how, how do you look out for this young girl? Get her a man. I know, it's very patriarchal, right? Yeah, that's, that's the society they're in. Get her a man. I know a man, says Naomi, there's this dude, Boaz, and actually he's one of our kinsmen redeemers, as we learned in chapter two. Remember what that means is, if, if a woman's husband were to die, the closest relative If there's a brother, it's the brother. If not, the next closest relative male to the deceased, to the dead husband, would have an obligation to actually now bring that woman into their household. Other ways that a family redeemer would help care for someone when a family member had passed away is they would take on their debt. They would, if they were in slavery, they would free them. And if they were a widow, they would marry them. And so she's thinking, oh, there's this Boaz and he's been actually really good to Ruth. Now we read, Tanya read later on in this chapter, what does Boaz tell Ruth? There's actually a closer family member. So legally, like he should have gone to this guy, right? So what's Naomi doing? She's taking matters in her own hands though. And she's skirting around that law because Boaz has been friendly to her. Who's gonna marry a Moabite woman in Israel? Who's gonna marry this foreign girl who's poor and is working in the fields all day and she's sweaty and probably stinks a little bit? Like, who's gonna do that? Boaz has been kind to us. Maybe, maybe he just might. But there's still a problem. What if Boaz doesn't do it? Because Boaz is a a well-off man. He's a well-respected man, we learned in chapter two. He's, He's got his own land that he owns. He's doing really well for himself. And not only that, 
but there's this huge chasm between where he's at and where Ruth's at in society. Boaz with Ruth would have been like, I don't know, Steve Jobs when he was here, going and finding a homeless lady on the street and getting married. Like that's seriously how drastic this was. A refugee woman who was homeless on the street. Because this is a foreign girl. She's poor. She can't take care of herself, at least in the eyes of society. She looks different from other people there in Israel. And not only that, she couldn't even give a son to her husband when he was alive. That, that was the woman's job, remember? Provide me sons. So my name, my legacy, my honor will continue. She was barren in that culture and in that time. And so why would Boaz marry Ruth? So Naomi goes, okay, that's another obstacle. I got a plan for that too. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. And I think it'll work because like this is, I think Ruth will do it because this is kind of where her people come from anyway. What we're going to do is we're going to wait till Boaz gets nice and full and drinky. And then we're going to wait till it's late and he's sleeping in his own little area. And in the cover of darkness, you're going to creep up on him and you're going to uncover his feet. Scandalous, right? All right. You guys know the word euphemism? So like when you say someone has passed away, that's a euphemism for something else that is harder to say, right? That's what euphemism is. It's, it's another way of saying something that is hard to say. And like I said, we have no traces historically or in scripture of this being some kind of like marriage proposal type of encounter. But there are lots of historical references. There are lots of historians and theologians who believe that feet was a euphemism for something else. Do you guys remember the story uh, that Jesus tells of the prodigal son? We, we call it the prodigal son. But Jesus tells the story of a father and two sons and one that runs away, the younger son, and he goes running after him. If you've been with Missy and you've heard us preach that story, then we, you might've heard us say that during that time, well-respected men would have worn a robe, right? And so he would have had to have hiked up his robe to run after his younger son, which you don't do in that culture. You don't hike up your robe. You don't uncover your feet or your legs. And actually a better translation for that is not feet, but go and cover his legs. The picture is here, Boaz, a well-respected man lying there in his robe and Naomi saying, go uncover his legs. In the middle of the night, after he's had plenty to drink, no one else is around. And then what does she say? Then he will tell you what to do next. Naomi is putting Ruth in a very risky and vulnerable situation. You guys remember last week when Ruth was in the fields, Boaz says, hey, stay in this field because we'll protect you. Don't go into the other fields. I've told my men not to touch you. Remember, it was very, very normal at that time for a woman in the fields to be taken advantage of by the men working the fields, especially a foreign woman because her word against them would not have meant much. And so now you're gonna send this woman in there in the middle of the night with a dude who's been drinking and say, do whatever he tells you to do after you've uncovered him. What do you think Boaz is gonna say? 
If she's banking on his morality, great. But I don't think she is when she says, wait until he's had plenty to drink. So yes, Naomi might be looking after Ruth's best interest in the long run. She's thinking, if we can just make this happen, he'll be obligated to marry her, right? And then she'll be cared for and protected after I'm gone. But in order to do so, she's got to do some pretty gnarly stuff. She's got to do some pretty risque stuff. In order to do so, she's got to put her into harm's way. She is putting Ruth in a vulnerable situation in order to care for her. That doesn't make much sense, does it? And that's what happens when we start doing things in our own wisdom, right? When we think, when we think this is a good thing and this is maybe even what we feel like God has promised, but he's just taking his time. Like it's not showing up when I need it to, right? So let me take matters into my own hands. Let, let me do this my way. Let me skirt around and cut some corners a little bit. And it always gets us in trouble, doesn't it? And so instead of waiting on the Lord and going, the same God who's been providing for us bread when there was no bread, the same God who brought our people out of slavery in Egypt, who brought them safely across the sea, that same God will provide for us. He's been doing it this whole time. This is happening at the end of the barley harvest. And when they first got there, it was the beginning of the barley harvest. So they've had months of God providing for the two of them through this guy, Boaz. Barley harvest comes, and we're actually told in Hosea 9, I have that verse up here, what it looks like at the end of a barley harvest. This is Hosea. He's one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And a word from the Lord is being spoken through him to Israel to tell them, you've been messing up. And this is what he says, Israel, do not rejoice jubilantly as the nations do, for you have acted promiscuously, leaving your God you love the wages of a prostitute on every grain threshing floor. What would happen is you're working hard in the harvest for months and months and months. And at the end of it, the threshing floor is where you would take the grain and you would have to separate the grain from the chaff. So I roast coffee, a lot of you guys know that. And when I do, what happens is the little pieces of what's called chaff, as it roasts, they start burning off of the actual seed, right? And this stuff, this chaff, is very thin and flaky-like, and it's not really good for anything. And in fact, when you strip that away as much as you can, the coffee is more in its purest form. It tastes a lot better. And so similarly with the grain, with the barley, they're trying to get that chaff gone. There's no use for it. And so what they would do is they would have it on the floor there, and they would go in with this kind of sledge, and they would break it apart, or they would have animals go and walk over it to crush it, or they would just go in there with a bunch of people and like have a stomping party. You know, that sounds kind of fun. And then once they do that, they had to separate it now. So you got all this chaff broken off of the grain. They would go in with this big pitchfork looking thing and they would pick it up and they'd throw it up in the air and they would let the wind in the cool of the night take the chaff away. The other night I came in from roasting coffee and I had chaff all over me and Liam comes in and starts to say something. He's like, hey dad, and he just stops and he's like staring at me all confused. And I was like, oh yeah, I got chaff on me. And he's like, I thought it was hair. I've never seen hair on your head. I was like, all right, dude. So the chaff, it just blows away in the wind, right? And then they got that left. At the end of that, you're beat. But the harvest was good. And now you got a reason to celebrate. So you would eat and you would drink and you would be merry. 
like really, really merry. That was, that was the custom. And another way to celebrate was that Israel would start bringing in women to the threshing floor. As Hosea said, they would bring in prostitutes and they would lie with them. Remember, there was a famine before this particular harvest. So they got even more reason to celebrate now. Naomi's really, really banking on this. And yet, this story has all kinds of recipes for disaster. There's so many ways it could go wrong right here. We've seen it happen repetitively throughout the Old Testament up until this point. A few stories of this happening where you go in and you trick this person into this. And it causes all kinds of problems for generations to come. And remember, though, we said Ruth is a story, even though we don't hear God's name much, it's a story of seeing God at work. God's always in the background of this story, at work in his world. And as Joseph said to his brothers, remember when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he rises to power right next to Pharaoh over all of the land, and they come in, and he's like, big reveal, like, hey, it's me. Suckas, you're in trouble, right? And they're scared. What does Joseph say? What you meant for evil, God has worked for good. That's what we see in Ruth chapter three. Naomi's intentions were all off. They were messed up. But what Naomi meant in her own plans and in her own ways, we see this huge reversal of this pattern of the story, right? The the pattern in Judges that we talked about where Israel would praise God for saving them and then they'd go and worship other gods and then they'd get in trouble. Then they'd cry out to God again and then God would come save them. And then the pattern repeats itself. Ruth is this beautiful story right after reading through Judges of going, God is breaking that cycle. The pattern's being broken. And what Israel meant for evil, what people, what humans have done in their own interests, God is using for the good of all. So what happens? Ruth goes in. She goes, you know what? I'm going to do whatever you tell me but she gives a little twist to it. She goes in, and this is a little bit of speculation here, but many commentators believe she took that euphemism and she literally just uncovered his feet and laid there. I tend to agree with that, and here's why, because here's what we do know where she deviates from Naomi's plan. When she gets there, Naomi said, then do whatever he tells you to do. But what happens? She gets there. Boaz is startled, like, what? There's a woman here. That's another indicator of Boaz's integrity, right? Every other grain, harvest, threshing floor, celebration included women. And Boaz did not have women at his. So he started, why is there a woman here? Who are you? And then she tells him who she is, but she doesn't wait for him now to tell her what to do. That was Naomi's instructions. Do whatever he tells you to do. And instead, Ruth tells Boaz what to do. Let's read it. Go back to Ruth 3. So verse eight, at midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. What she is saying in that moment is, do you remember, Boaz, how you told me 
that I have come under the wings of God's protection? Remember that? It was Ruth chapter two, verse 12. Boaz, do you remember telling me in the field to come under the wings of God and his protection? This was something that Israel knew very well. In fact, we have several verses I want to show us real quick. We can go to the next slide. In Exodus 19, it's the first time we hear it, that God says it to Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And then all throughout the Psalms, next slide, Psalm 36, how priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, be gracious to me, God, be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. And then we talked about this last week in Luke 13, Jesus uses the same language when he's weeping over the city of Jerusalem the last week of his life here. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Boaz, the same way you told me to come under the wings of God's protection, may he protect me through you, is what Ruth is saying. And she reminds him of this law and this obligation in their culture. You have this thing, Israelites, called the kinsman redeemer, the family redeemer, where you are obligated to take care of the widows in your family. It's a marriage proposal, sure, but it's not a very romantic one. It's a reminding Boaz who he is and telling him what to do in light of her situation. So she deviates from Naomi's plan. She goes, no, 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 I'm not gonna wait for Boaz to tell me what to do after he's been drinking and he's laying there at night. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna remind him who he is who I am, and what God said to do, what his God says to do. And that's the moment that the story changes. So what does Boaz say to her? Verse 10, then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before. That word kindness is the word hesed, if you were with us in the summer, and we went through Psalm 136, where it repeats over and over, your steadfast love and kindness endures forever. That word hesed, it's this loyal kindness. It's not just like, oh, hey, thanks for being nice to me, but like a loyal, faithful commitment and love. So he says, your hesed, your kindness now is even greater than before. What's he talking about? It was nice when you came and worked in my fields and you stayed in my fields and you trusted me to provide for you. But now, as you sit here and you remind me of God's word, of how I am blessed to be a blessing, to care for you in my wealth and in my power, to care for your poverty and your oppression. He calls that faithful, loving kindness. So he says, you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter, I will do whatever you say. Not whatever Boaz said, whatever Ruth said, right? And what happens in this moment is, like I said, the story changes, but also the whole trajectory of Ruth's life changes. When Ruth gets there, he asks her, who are you? And she says, I'm your servant. When she comes to her mom later, a lot of translations say, hey, how did you fare? Or tell me what happened when Naomi sees Ruth. But actually, the original language is the same same words. Who are you? 
And what does she do? She goes, well, Boaz gave me a bunch of grain to give to you. Again, it could sound scandalous, right? Like she goes and visits this man in the middle of the night and he tells her, all right, leave before anyone else sees and I'll pay you, right? But no, 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 what's happening is he says, don't go home to your mother-in-law empty-handed. In that custom, there was what's called a dowry. Like you would pay to be engaged to someone's daughter. And so he's giving this as a promise. So when her mother-in-law says, who are you? She now says, I'm no longer a servant. I'm no longer a servant. Her identity has changed. Here's what I want us to catch. What Naomi did in that moment was entering into a vulnerable situation, but reminding Boaz of his strength and her need. And in her loyalty and in her faithfulness and in her kindness, what she did was she came to him and she humbled herself and said, I need you. Will you rescue me? That was a humbling moment for her to go, I can't take care of myself in this culture. I can't provide for myself in this culture. I need you. When Jesus says that to Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wings, but you wouldn't listen. The the thing that he's saying against us in that moment, the thing that he's coming at Jerusalem with is, you denied your need for me to cover you. You went out from my wings, from my protection, and you tried to do this on your own. The story of Ruth reminds us that when we come to God in a place of need like she did to Boaz, when we come to God and we go, I'm in need. I can't do this on my own. I need your wings to cover me. I need your protection, your provision, your care, and your loving kindness. That that's the exact place that God wants us. And then he will say, how good are you? How faithful are you? The words that, he, that Boaz used for Ruth in that moment are the same words to describe the woman of valor or the woman of excellence in Proverbs 31. You guys know Proverbs 31? You might know it if you've been around the church for a while as like this chapter that's about the perfect woman, right? Describing the perfect woman. Let me tell you, it's not about a singular woman or like what ladies you need to strive to become. It's not about that at all. It's actually a picture of what the church is supposed to look like, the faithful people of God. And that's the way that Boaz describes Ruth in that moment. She's given us a picture of the faithful people of God. And all she did was say, I'm in need and I need you. Jesus is going, wouldn't you come under my wings? Recognize your need for me to cover you. In Matthew 5, Jesus also said this. This comes from what we call the Beatitudes. And he says at the beginning of Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Why would the poor in spirit be blessed? Why do you want to be poor in spirit? How does that get you the kingdom of heaven? It's recognizing need. That's what that phrase means. Poor in spirit means I recognize in myself, in my own spirit, in my own flesh, in my own heart, in myself, I got nothing. I can't do it. I can't rescue myself. I can't protect and provide for myself. I will not live forever in the kingdom until I recognize my need there. 
I come and I ask Jesus, would you cover me with your wings? Cover me with your protection. And that's why all throughout the New Testament letters, every time Paul's writing, Peter, John, they use that language of being covered in Christ, being covered in his righteousness, being dressed in him, putting him on like clothes, like a wardrobe, being in him, being baptized. That means immersed, fully covered in Jesus. That language is repetitive over and over and over to remind us we are the helpless, needy, foreign, immigrant who's oppressed and poor in our hearts. We need to come to Jesus and say, we are in such desperate need. Would you spread your wings and cover me? Amen? If that's not our starting place for like all of life, then we try to go out and do things in our own strength and our own power and our own understanding. And just like in Judges, we will do whatever seems right in our own eyes and we're gonna mess a lot of things up, right? But if we start every day with that recognition, I am in need of you, Jesus, and I go in your strength and in your power, oh man, you get to see the glory of God at work in your lives. You get to see him at work transforming your own heart. And if we would be a church like that, that Proverbs 31 church, that Ruth chapter three church, that Matthew five church, blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's recognize, Missio, we got nothing without Jesus. So let's go to him right now because the good news is he is faithful. How I would long to cover you with my wings, he wants to. And when he does, it is so good.